Liquid Picnic Productions presents The Three Sisters by W. W. Jacobs Thirty years ago, on a wet autumn evening, in the household of Mallet's Lodge was gathered around the deathbed of Ursula Mallow, the eldest of the three sisters who inhabited it. The dingy, moth-eaten curtains of the old wooden bedstead were drawn apart. The light of a smoking oil lamp falling upon the hopeless countenance of the dying woman as she turned her dull eyes upon her sisters. The room was in silence, except for an occasional sob from the youngest sister, Eunice. Outside, the rain fell steadily over the streaming marshes. Nothing is to be changed, Tabitha, gasped Ursula to the other sister, who bore striking likeness to her, although her expression was harder and colder. This room is to be locked up and never opened. Very well, though I don't see how it can matter to you then. It does matter. How do you know? How do you know that I may not sometimes visit it? I've lived in this house so long I'm certain I shall see it again. I will come back. Come back to watch over you both and see that no harm befalls you. You are talking wildly, said Tabitha, by no means moved at her sister's solicitude for her welfare. Your mind is wandering. You know that I have no faith in such things. Ursula sighed, and beckoning to Eunice, who was weeping silently at her bedside, placed her feeble arms around her neck and kissed her. Do not weep, dear. Perhaps it is best so. A lonely woman's life is scarce worth living. We have no hopes, no aspirations. Other women have had happy husbands and children, and we in this forgotten place have grown old together. I go first, but you must follow soon. Tabitha, comfortably conscious of only forty years and an iron frame, shrugged her shoulders and smiled grimly. I go first, but I will come for each of you in turn. When your lease of life runs out, at that moment I will be with you to lead your steps whither I now go. As she spoke, the flickering lamp went out suddenly as though extinguished by a rapid hand, and the room was left in utter darkness. A strange, suffocating noise issued from the bed, and when the trembling woman had relighted the lamp, all that was left of Ursula Mallow was ready for the grave. That night, the survivors passed together. The dead woman had been a firm believer in the existence of that shadowy borderland which is said to form an unhallowed link between the living and the dead. And even the stolid Tabitha, slightly unnerved by the events of the night, was not free from certain apprehensions that she might have been right. With the bright morning, their fears disappeared. The sun stole in at the window, and seeing the poor earth-worn face on the pillow, so touched it and glorified it that only its goodness and weakness were seen, and the beholders came to wonder how they could ever have felt any dread of aught so calm and peaceful. A day or two passed and the body was transferred to a massive coffin long regarded as the finest piece of work of its kind ever turned out of the village carpenter's workshop. Then, a slow 
and melancholy cortege, headed by four bearers, wound its solemn way across the marshes to the family vault in the grey old church. And all that was left of Ursula was placed by the father and mother who had taken that self-same journey some thirty years before. To Eunice, as they toiled slowly home, the day seemed strange and Sabbath. Like the flat prospect of marsh, wilder and more forlorn than usual. The roar of the sea more depressing. Tabitha had no such fancies. The bulk of the dead woman's property had been left to Eunice, and her avaricious soul was sorely troubled and her proper sisterly feelings of regret for the deceased sadly interfered with in consequence. What are you going to do with all that money, Eunice? She asked, as they sat at their quiet tea. I shall leave it as it stands. We have both got sufficient to live upon, and I shall devote the income from it to supporting some beds in a children's hospital. If Ursula had wished it to go to a hospital, she would have left the money to it herself. I wonder you do not respect her wishes more. What else can I do with it, then? Save it. Save it. Eunice shook her head. No! It shall go to the sick children, but the principal I will not touch, and if I die before you, it shall become yours, and you can do what you like with it. Very well. I don't believe that was what Ursula meant you to do with it, and I don't believe she will rest quietly in the grave while you squander the money she stored so carefully. What do you mean you're trying to frighten me? I thought that you did not believe in such things. Tabitha made no answer and to avoid the anxious inquiring gaze of her sister, drew her chair to the fire, and folding her gaunt arms, composed herself for a nap. For some time, life went on quietly in the old house. The room of the dead woman, in accordance with her last desire, was kept firmly locked, its dirty windows forming a strange contrast to the prim cleanliness of the others. Tabitha, never very talkative, became more taciturn than ever, and stalked about the house and neglected the garden like an unquiet spirit. Her brow roughened into the deep wrinkles suggestive of much thought. As the winter came on, bringing with it the long dark evenings, the old house became more lonely than ever, and an air of mystery and dread seemed to hang over it and brood in its empty rooms and dark corridors. The deep silence of the night was broken by strange noises for which neither the wind nor the rats could be held accountable. Old Martha, seated in her distant kitchen, heard strange sounds upon the stairs, and once, upon hurrying to them, fancied that she saw a dark figure squatting upon the landing, though a subsequent search with a candle and spectacles failed to discover anything. Eunice was disturbed by several vague incidents, and, as she suffered from a complaint of the heart, rendered very ill by them. Even Tabitha admitted a strangeness about the house, but, confident in her piety and virtue, took no heed of it her mind being fully employed in another direction. Since the death of her sister, all restraint upon her was removed, 
and she yielded herself up entirely to the stern and hard rules enforced by avarice upon its devotees. Her housekeeping expenses were kept rigidly separate from those of Eunice, and her food limited to the coarsest dishes. While in the manner of clothes, the old servant was by far the better dressed. Seated alone in her bedroom, this uncouth, hard-featured creature reveled in her possessions, grudging even the expense of a candle-end which enabled her to behold them. So completely did this passion change her that both Eunice and Martha became afraid of her, and lay awake in their beds night after night, trembling at the clinking of the coins at her unholy vigils. One day, Eunice ventured to remonstrate. Why don't you bank your money, Tabitha? It is surely not safe to keep such large sums in such a lonely house. Large sums? Large sums? What nonsense is this? You know well that I have barely sufficient to keep me. It's a great temptation to housebreakers. I made sure last night that I heard somebody in the house. Did you? So did I. I thought they went into Ursula's room and I got out of bed and went on the stairs to listen. Well? Said Eunice faintly, fascinated by the look on her sister's face. There was something there, I'll swear it, but I stood on the landing by her door and listened. Something scuffling on the floor round and round the room. At first I thought it was the cat, but when I went up... This morning, the door was still locked and the cat was in the kitchen. Who let us leave this dreadful house? What? Afraid of poor Ursula? Why should you be? Your own sister who nursed you when you were a babe and and who who perhaps even now comes and watches over your slumbers. Oh, if I saw her, I should die. I, I should think that she had come for me and she said she would. Oh God, have mercy on me, I am dying. She reeled as she spoke. And before Tabitha could save her, sank senseless to the floor. Get some water! cried Tabitha, as old Martha came hurrying up the stairs. He needs us fainted! The old woman, with a timid glance at her, retired, reappearing shortly afterwards with the water with which she proceeded to restore her much-loved mistress to her senses. Tabitha, as soon as this was accomplished, stalked off to her room, leaving her sister and Martha sitting drearily enough in the small parlour, watching the fire and conversing in whispers. It was clear to the old servant that this state of things could not last much longer, and she repeatedly urged her mistress to leave a house so lonely and so mysterious. To her great delight, Eunice at length consented despite the fierce opposition of her sister, and at the mere idea of leaving gained greatly in health and spirits. A small but comfortable house was hired in Morville, and arrangements made for a speedy change. It was the last night in the old house, and all the wild spirits of the marshes, the wind and the sea, seemed to have joined forces for one supreme effort. When the wind dropped, as it did at brief intervals, the sea was heard moaning on the distant beach, strangely mingled with the desolate warning of the bellboy as it rocked the waves. 
then the wind rose again, and the noise of the sea was lost in the fierce gusts, which, finding no obstacle on the open marshes, swept with their full fury upon the house by the creek. The strange voices of the air shrieked in its chimneys. Windows rattled, doors slammed, and even the very curtains seemed to live and move. Eunice was in bed, awake. A small nightlight and a saucer of oil shed a sickly glare upon the worm-eaten old furniture, distorting the most innocent articles into ghastly shapes. A wilder gust than usual almost deprived her of her protection afforded by that poor light, and she lay listening, fearfully to the creakings and other noises on the stairs, bitterly regretting that she had not asked Martha to sleep with her. But it was not too late, even now. She slipped hastily to the floor, crossed to the huge wardrobe, and was in the very act of taking her dressing gown from its peg when an unmistakable foothold was heard on the stairs. The robe dropped from her shaking fingers, and with a quickly beating heart she regained her bed. The sounds ceased, and a deep silence followed, which she herself was unable to break, although she strove hard to do so. A wild gust of wind shook the windows and nearly extinguished the light, and when its flame had regained its accustomed steadiness, she saw that the door was slowly opening while the huge shadow of a hand blotted the paper wall. Still, her tongue refused its office. The door flew open with a crash. A cloaked figure entered and throwing aside its covering, she saw a horror past all expression. The napkin-bound face of the dead Ursula, smiling terribly at her. In her last extremity, she raised her faded eyes above for succour. And then, as the figure noiselessly advanced and laid its cold hand upon her brow, the soul of Eunice Mallow left its body with a wild shriek and made its way to the Eternal. Martha, roused by the cry and shivering with dread, rushed to the door and gazed in terror at the figure which stood leaning over the bedside. As she watched, it slowly removed the cowl and the napkin and exposed the fell face of Tabitha, so strangely contorted between fear and triumph that she hardly recognised it. Who's there? cried Tabitha in a terrible voice as she saw the old woman's shadow on the wall. I thought I heard a cry. Did anybody call? Yes, Eunice. I too heard the cry and hurried to her. What makes her so strange? Is she in a trance? Aye, the trance of death. Oh, my dear, my poor lonely girl. That this should be the end of it. She has died of fright, said the old woman, pointing to the eyes which even yet retained their horror. She has seen something devilish. 
She's always suffered with her heart. The night has frightened her. It frightened me. She stood upright by the foot of the bed as Martha drew the sheet over the face of the dead woman. First Ursula, then Eunice. I can't stay here. I'll dress and wait for the morning. She left the room as she spoke, and with bent head proceeded to her own. Martha remained by the bedside, and gently closing the staring eyes, fell on her knees, and prayed long and earnestly for the departed soul. Overcome with grief and fear, she remained with bowed head until the sudden sharp cry from (coughs) Tabitha brought her to her feet. Well, said the old woman, going to the door. Where are you? In Miss Eunice's bedroom. Do you want anything? Come down at once, quick! I am unwell! Her voice rose suddenly to a scream. Quick! For God's sake, quick! Or I shall go mad! There's some strange woman in the house! The old woman stumbled hastily down the dark stairs. What's the matter? Who is it? What do you mean? I saw it! I was coming to you when I saw a figure of a woman in front of me going up the stairs. I said, well, can it be Ursula? Come from the soul of Eunice. She said she would. Or for yours? Tabitha, with a ghastly look, fell cowering by her side, clutching tremendously at her clothes. Light the lamps! Light a fire! Make a noise! Oh, this dreadful darkness! Will it never be day? Soon. Soon. When the day comes, you will laugh at these fears. I murdered her! I killed her with fright! Why did she not give me the money? It was no use to her! Oh, look there! Martha, with a horrible fear, followed her glance to the door, but saw nothing. It's Ursula! Keep her off! Keep her off! The old woman, who by some unknown sense seemed to feel the presence of a third person in the room, moved a step forward and stood before her. As she did so, Tabitha waved her arms as though to free herself from the touch of a detaining hand, half rose to her feet, and without a word, (laughs) fell dead before her. At this, the old woman's courage forsook her. She rushed from the room, eager to escape from this house of death and mystery. The bolts of the great door were stiff with age, and strange voices seemed to ring in her ears as she strove wildly to unfasten them. Her brain whirled. She thought that the dead in their distant rooms called to her, and that a devil stood on the step outside laughing and holding the door against her. Then, with a supreme effort, she flung it open, and heedless of her night clothes, passed into the bitter night. The path across the marshes was lost in the darkness, but she found it. The planks over the ditches, slippery and narrow, but she crossed them in safety, until at last, her feet bleeding and her breath coming in great gasps, she entered the village and sank down more dead than alive on a cottage doorstep. The Three Sisters by W.W. W. Jacobs starred Ellie Kerr as Ursula, Bryony Carson as Eunice, and Megan Rose McKee as Tabitha, with Lucy Dehan as Martha. It was narrated by John McQueen. The text was adapted for audio and directed by Finley Cassie, 
and produced by Finley Cassie, with assistance from Harris Williamson. The sound effects used were either specially recorded or in the public domain. The incidental music was Echoes of Time by Kevin MacLeod, and the theme was Synth Homage to John Carpenter by Squire Tuck, both used under the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. Full attributions can be found at liquidpicnicproductions.com. John McQueen, James Hay, Holly Clark, and Joe Simpson are executive producers for Liquid Picnic Productions. The production team would also like to thank Karen Aspers and Manus Lethem. The credits were read by Harris Williamson. Make sure to subscribe to us in your podcast player of choice so you don't miss our next chilling tale. For more information about Liquid Picnic, visit our website and keep up to date with us. Why not follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram? You've been listening to a Liquid Picnic production.